0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. Introducing Carissa Green Industries. Let's get ready to launch! I recently spoke with Dan Holman and Eric Fliss of Worldstack, an open source intelligence or OSINT company based in Canberra, Australia. We dove into the sometimes surprising and sometimes scarily powerful capabilities of OSINT and its use cases. It really opened my eyes to an area of tech and data security of which I was aware and had an appreciation for, but not a detailed understanding. It was a fascinating chat, and I think we're only just scratching the surface in terms of the capabilities and applications to which OSINT might be applied to. So I know you and Eric come from a pretty deep InfoSec background. Was this venture into OSINT essentially scratching your own itch, as they say?
1: Yeah, look, uh, when I met Eric, we were working at a cybersecurity startup uh, together um, I saw what Eric was doing. I uh, guess in the cybersecurity space um, with incident response. Um, so there's lots of manual collection around. Um, I guess collecting data to do with a uh, cybersecurity incident. Um, lots of going to like social media pages, Facebook, uh, Google Plus, Twitter, etc., um, and doing searches on those platforms, looking for the data. I guess to link uh, what happened in the incident back to do a threat actor. Uh, and I saw Eric was sort of at the beginnings of building a platform to automate a lot of that process um, because there's a lot of time involved in manually doing the collection and I guess um, some other things he was talking about at the time was um, it's very easy to lose track of where you're up to in terms of collection. Mm-hmm. So I have already collected against um, that particular person on that particular topic. So it's quite easy to make a mistake when, you, when you're going through the, an operation mandrelically like that using pen and paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess with my background in IT and building systems, I saw what he was doing and said, hey, uh, You know, started jotting down on a bit of paper and drawing a bit of a, a mud map of how this might work. If we were to build it in a sort of cloud solution with a you know a proper data pipeline and we could automate the collection and then we could put something else in to do visualization. And I, I have to say the earliest prototypes were pretty ugly. <laughs> but uh, we got quickly into, I guess, building something that actually started to work. And you could see where it was it was going to go in terms of um, making the process a lot easier, a lot faster, and a lot more powerful, um, bringing those different feeds together and, and starting to see those insights from joining them together.
0: So when you say define started to work, so can you tell me what that actually means? When you say it started to work, can you define what that means in terms of what that looks like back then?
1: Yeah, so back back then the user interface was was really ugly. It was it was very clunky. But when I say started to work, it means that mm-hmm. we were able to hit websites and collect data, and it was brought oh, yeah. back into a central database. Um, essentially one of the one of the first problems we had to solve was all of these different data sources are a different structure and, and how, do, how do you bring them together and so you can put it in a single database and then do visualizations on it because it needs to be in a common data format and so that was our first hurdle to solve and When we had that collection working in that single data format, we, we knew we had sort of a lot of the key problems solved in terms of getting the database together mm-hmm. and the next thing was trying to i guess work on that user interface and um, how do we, how do we get the visualization working? And we started like really basic, <laughs> really yeah, basic yeah. user interface. Um, and then I think it was we we spent a few months working on that, a few revisions of the user interface, and um, eventually we came across the Elastic Stack, uh, okay. which is what we use now. Um, so I don't know if you, if you haven't heard of it, Elastic Stack is essentially um, a, a database. Uh, and then, a, a, I guess, a visualization layer. It's primarily used for log monitoring and cybersecurity, but yep. we repurposed it to... to Because a, a lot of what we're doing with, I guess, open source intelligence and the collection, the way we do it, it's very similar to how you take a log feed um, into a scene. Mm-hmm. And yes. we've, we've built a solution that's very similar to that. And so... Um, yeah, I guess Kibana, we could see that you could just repurpose it if you're looking at logs. If we substitute logs for social media posts, we, we use exactly the same visualizations as they do for, for log management log, log management and um, security information event management.
0: Got you. So I guess that leads me to my next question on the security front. How does your cyber background inform WorldStack and what you guys are doing in the OSINT world?
1: Yeah, so it's it's it's, it's, um, it's interesting I guess um coming from both an IT and a cybersecurity background, and then Eric's background in in intelligence. Um, mm-hmm. I guess what we're doing here in this space is is I guess uh, at the intersection of those three things. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of what we're doing with the tech tech stack right now. Um, wasn't possible five years ago. Um, so we use technologies like AWS, uh, really easy to scale infrastructure to build the actual solution to power a lot of the, the, the I guess, the data collection and analysis we're doing in the back end. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess with our cybersecurity backgrounds and understanding um, what sorts of threats we're looking for. So, uh, but even without having the software solution, we knew that, for example uh, people in organizations posting things about you know the sorts of technologies they're using inside a workplace or they're talking about um, you know they're leaking information about how the organization runs certain technologies which is just fodder for someone who's looking for to do reconnaissance on an organization so i guess when when we saw that when we were doing general cybersecurity work mm-hmm that we've taken that knowledge and applied it so we've got this platform now to look for those things in an automated way rather than have to manually go in and try and find this sorts of information if you're if you're in a security operations center or part of a security team trying to do that kind of monitoring on your own mm-hmm. without a tool or a platform like that it's quite time consuming it's pretty much impossible to do
0: do you think people are still doing like obviously people are still doing it manually? Is it because that they're not aware that this exists, or the cost of it, or sort of more of a behavioural change and an up and an uptake towards utilising something like this?
2: I think it's probably a combination of a number of those things. Um, I guess from my perspective, it, uh, working in cybersecurity and OCIN, it gave me a, an understanding of the technology stacks that we could mm-hmm. potentially use um, and the different advancements being made. Uh, one thing it did highlight working in cybersecurity in particular in this space was the, the gaps, I guess the gaps in mm-hmm. what's commonly touted as intelligence within cybersecurity and the overuse of terms like uh, threat intelligence. <laughs> yes. Uh, in a lot of cases, there's no real intelligence there at all. It's just you know someone's given you a bad IP address and it's network-based stuff. It doesn't actually tell you um, well who's targeting us and why. Do we have to plan for them in the future? Will they ever be coming back? Is this just a random thing or is it an ongoing, um, higher-level, um, you know, very targeted? threat. Um, so it gave me uh, and Dan a, a very clear understanding, I think, of the gaps in what's commonly termed as as intelligence within cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's normally anything but intelligence.
0: So can I just drill down a little bit on that one, on the intelligence front? So you said, obviously, there are people that, we, well, as we all know, that probably go around and overuse the word of intelligence and machine learning and AI and all these types of things. Can you define sort of more about what that looks like from a, you know, we're the real intelligence versus, you know, the more show pony, the intelligence stuff in terms of threat intelligence. What well, what does that look like if someone were to sort of go looking for this type of stuff in the market? What should they steer away from and sort of maybe asking those types of questions so they are getting the right, you know, they are buying the right capability in the market
2: yeah, so I mean, if you go to any of the you know IT security conferences, there's plenty of um, intelligence solutions out there. <laughs> Nearly every other booth is touted as some form of intelligence. Uh, you know, most of that is network-based intelligence mm-hmm. or intelligence from logs, so anomalous traffic, um, you know, misuse of resources by internal users, that kind of stuff. But generally, it's not telling you anything about why someone's doing something, who's doing it, and why. Which is so, yeah. really important in in understanding, you know, who's targeting my organization and why that actually allows you to not only stop it now, but also plan for the future. What do I need to put in place in future to secure our, our organization? Because this is going to be an ongoing threat because now we know who it is and why they're doing it. Or yeah, maybe yeah. it's not. Maybe it's not. Um, ongoing it could be a one-off, but through actual um, attribution of, of threat actors allows you to sort of make those determinations whereas your traditional network based intelligence you know IP addresses blacklistings doesn't tell you any of that and you know blacklisting IP addresses is is not really intelligence, mm, and that's no. commonly touted as threat intelligence I got you okay, got you.
0: Now, what I'd like to ask, what are the applications for OSIN in terms of cyber defense?
1: Yeah, a couple of spring to mind. Uh, one we just talked about just before, uh, incident response. Um, and Eric was just talking about technical data. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I guess we've got we've got that information now. Uh, if an organization's keeping audit logs, which is a big if sometimes in my experience. Um, mm-hmm. But if they have that sort of information, you can combine that as well as whatever you might have had from the payload of the attack. So the malware itself is mm-hmm. another form of technical intelligence. But then... Sometimes you're able to link it back to an actual attacker. Mm-hmm. So I guess, um, yeah, a good a good example of that is where we found um, there was a there was a compromise, um, and that cu- the customer data was actually dumped online. And in the dump itself, there was clues as to who did who did it. Um, now we had, admittedly, we had the combination of internal data. So um, the, the the client that was cost. Uh, compromised um we knew who the vendor was that might have been involved they gave us the customer data that was taken um and so we were able to put together enough links to say with a pretty good degree of confidence that a certain person committed that committed that crime um I guess other other use cases that spring to mind are things like vulnerability monitoring. So at the moment, I guess, when you think about a security team, you think I'm running a certain tech stack, so I need to understand um, for that tech stack, what's the latest vulnerability information? What sort of patches do I need to put onto it? Um, mm-hmm. With our solution, you can automate monitoring of those sorts of feeds to say, not only when the vendor announces them, but would also when the hacker community starts talking about them. Um, before they're used in the wild, so potentially getting a jump on zero-day attacks. Yep. Uh, no, another use case is things like insider inside threat monitoring, we were talking about that one earlier as well, mm-hmm. uh, where if you've got particularly sensitive projects um, inside your organisation, for example, you can monitor your social presence for your company and any key employees to see, you know, it's usually in most cases it's not malicious. They just don't understand what putting that kind of information online can do, um, how valuable it is to attackers, um, but with a solution like ours, you can you can monitor for that sorts of that sort of information and say, is there any of that key information that's available online to anyone that's looking? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I guess a final one in the cybersecurity space might be attack surface assessments. Um, we just talked about what's available in the social side of things, but I guess going further, so a common thing we see is in like Stack Overflow, people's tech teams in there talking about um, their technologies, so the technology that a customer's running, as well as uh, bugs that they've got and how do I fix them. You know, that that sort of stuff's gold for hackers. Um, they'll just use that information as a, as a free pass in. Uh, to your organisation, they don't even have to run a scan. They've just been told what sort of tech stack you're running, what version it is, and what vulnerability mm-hmm. you've got.
0: <laughs> no, 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 absolutely. Now I know that you you've both sort of touched on a few different things, but the next in terms of the OSINT stuff, and also talking about how people haven't necessarily adapted to OSINT, What I'd like to know is how does OSINT displace good old traditional mechanisms for discovery?
2: Uh, so I don't know if it displaces it. Um, it's another tool in your, your arsenal. Um, you know, I guess the power in, in all forms of intelligence is infusion, right? Fusing your different sources, whether it's um, open source, closed source, uh, network-based intelligence. So when we talk about, you know, bad IP addresses and so forth or, or you know, looking at logs and your network traffic, there's still all things that, that should be done because you want a whole mm-hmm. picture. So open source intelligence is, is one piece um, of the puzzle. I guess, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, but what it does do is give you that attribution part about the who, the why, the where, the when, that the other stuff, uh, the more traditional, um, you know, network-based and technical intelligence won't necessarily give you.
0: So, is it just scale and automation or are there other benefits as well?
2: Uh, well, automation is a, is a big one. Um, I mean, teams are, are really, really small um, and the things that you need to monitor are, are continually growing. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that's one thing. But I guess doing these things manually, if you were trying to do attribution manually, there's so much information out there, you're probably going to miss it. Of course.
0: Well, what I, I'm always a person that talks more about the behaviour and in, in change of why people adapt to new technologies. Now, I know in Australia, people are a little bit more reluctant to adapt to to new technologies. What I'd like to know is how do you see this changing and how will InfoSec leverage OSINT in the future?
1: Yeah, I I think intelligence, um, including OSINT, will increasingly help organisations get on the front foot. Uh, and prevent and detect cyber threats before they happen. I, I think there's a real um, danger there as well in terms of predictive machines and crystal balls. And I, I don't, I don't think they exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every time we're asked about them, we, 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 I tell them, you know, we, that's not what we do. We're not, we're not about predicting the future. But I think with the right amount, the right data, and the right linkages, you can start to see patterns emerging before events actually happen, and and actually do something about them. So it might it might be, for example, detecting that there is information available online about your organisations and its technologies before someone gets to use it and taking it down. So doing that scan and that continuous monitoring. First, the scan to get rid of it. Secondly, the continuous monitoring to make sure it doesn't pop up again. Um, and that really it reduces your attack surface and and reduces the likelihood that you're going to suffer a major attack in the future.
0: Do you think that... I absolutely get what you're saying. I just, what I wanted to, to probably drill down a little bit more is the the uptake to it. So are people sort of adapting to this type of change or are they sort of set in their old ways? Is it more an awareness piece Are people don't know this is a thing and they're a little bit reluctant because no one else is kind of utilizing this form of technology? What, what do you sort of see in the future of organizations a- adapting to this?
1: Okay. Yeah, no, okay, I understand uh, understand what you mean now. Um, I think intelligence in cybersecurity uh, is something that's that's growing and becoming more prevalent, um, particularly around in organizations where uh, they've had a, a recent attack. We, mm-hmm. we find um, the people most open to looking at these sorts of things are those that have just suffered a breach and they're sort of asking the question of, you know, well, why didn't we see this coming? We've got all yes. these whiz-bang gizmos in here and nothing saw it, nothing picked it up. Got you. Uh, and so they're asking the question, like, well, what else can we do? And so, I guess that that's one type of organisation that's looking to intelligence. Um, the other one is, uh, and the one we love dealing with is proactive organisations. So, the size those that really, you know, they're thinking about, well, how else? how else can I improve my security posture? What else can I do to get out in front of this threat curve? Mm-hmm. Um, and we love have conv- having conversations with them because uh, some, some of our, I guess, solutions, our best solutions are coming from discussions with these people who are going, this is what I've done. What else can we do to try and detect this? Or um, I'm really worried about this. Is there anything you can do with your technologies to try and find, uh, find a way for us to better defend against these sorts of attacks. So I guess they're probably the two two trends um, pushing us towards um, intelligence-led cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, as Eric was saying earlier, that I guess the the overloaded use of the word threat intelligence hasn't helped our cause any in terms yes, of us of trying, trying to push forward the, I guess, the intelligence-led agenda. But I no, think, absolutely. Uh, I think, yeah, when we start being more clear about what intelligence actually means, and, and moving beyond, you know, IP addresses and logs and that sort of thing, and saying, well, if if we can get a better understanding of these of these threat actors and their, their tools, techniques, and procedures, we can work harder to get in front of that. I guess those threats before they're happening, and I think every organisation really wants to do that. I, I think um, probably the the biggest I guess impediment to people moving to this model is that there's so many different things that we have to do in terms of compliance um, in ter- before we even look at becoming proactive. So you've got compliance and then you've got risk-based and then I guess you, you make that sort of evolution through to proactive and intelligence-led. Uh, and there's re- there really is a maturity model there. And so I would actually say that not all organisations um, are ready to go to um, intelligence led they that they, they really need to think about well what what makes sense for my organization and and doing this kind of monitoring um, might might not make sense for that organization at that point in time but in in some cases it does um, so i I guess each organization will have to make up their own mind um, about it but we, we don't we're not in the business of uh, i guess saying if if you don 't have this uh, bad things will happen it's more about uh, you know, if you're really interested in these sorts of threats and you really do want to get ahead of the curve, then we can most likely help you.
0: Got you. So, I've, what I've taken from that is basically I guess, CISOs who are probably more curious about what else is out there and then second of all, from a maturity point of view, and some companies or a lot of companies still are not there yet and they're still trying to get their feet beneath them. But I wanted to, I'm actually excited to answer this question. So, and we left it at the end as well, is the James Bond stuff. I want to (laughs) know what the wildest use case you have under your belt, like the most extreme out there, craziest, messed up stuff that you can tell me. I'm excited.
2: Uh, I don't know if it's quite <laughs> James Bond, but <laughs> Dan briefly mentioned I think an incident response we, we recently uh, worked on or, or supported. Um, so part of that was the uh, I guess monitoring for uh, data being leaked online. Once we identified that and we had an idea of who the the person of interest may be, the the, the organisation wanted us to do a much more in depth. Dive on them to, I guess, build a profile, determine where they were at, what they were involved in, and, and from that, we're able to, you know, link this individual to old comments on tech forums where he was trying to learn about the particular type of um, attack avenue that that was present in in the incident we were dealing with, through to um, determining exactly what apartment he lived in in a particular place using a combination of techniques, varying from, you know image analysis, Google Street View, metadata, uh, posted about on on his online um, social media profiles. Mm-hmm. So we we could actually get to a point where we were just able to say he lives in this apartment at this address because of the wow. view out of his window from from a picture he posted when he first moved in.
0: Oh, my gosh. It's pretty creepy. <laughs> I just started like visually going through my mind going, oh, I, hope I haven't done that before. We can check out your um, account after this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you've already done it. But, uh, uh, I know this one is in the public domain. I saw it's on your site, the Russian fleet. This is fascinating. Can we dig a little bit deeper on that? or?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess that was more of a... A test case on our behalf. It wasn't linked to any you know, incident or, or anything we were particularly engaged to do. It was more, um, how do we keep our skills sharp and figure out what we can and what we can't figure out? Um, so it was sort of a question I posed to myself. Can, can, can we track you know, Russian naval Um, vessels across the globe and understand where their area operations are, um, maybe who's on board, um, Mm -hmm. and I guess from what you saw online, I guess the answer is yes to Mm -hmm. that. Um, you know and as well as crowdsourcing right so being in a western country it'd probably be difficult for me to travel to Russia to some of the sites where ships are docking and that sort of thing so um, using crowdsourced information you know we had we know about you know train spotters and plane spotters well there's also naval ship spotters we discovered Mm -hmm. so uh, you know when they live in Russia, for example, so they have no problem taking pictures um, of you know these ships close up. So it was interesting to see both. Uh, I guess, crew from those ships posting when they were docking or travelling through certain places mm-hmm. um, through through to, you know, uh, citizens in particular towns where the vessels docked taking pictures, um, not just of the the naval vessels, but in some cases um, aircraft flying over because there was, a uh, you know, some sort of military um, parade type thing going on where they were breaking in a new ship or, or whatever it may be. So there were other, I guess, side avenues for information um or sources of information that were that came out of that sort of little uh, um study we did
0: something pedestrian but i know our audience will appreciate risk scoring can you tell me more about how your tools are helping with decision making
1: yes certainly so Uh, One of the emerging trends in cybersecurity is cybersecurity insurance, and one of the problems I don't think they've yet solved in cybersecurity insurance is how do they price uh, insurance premiums? So Mm -hmm. um, how do I gauge how much risk one organization is compared to another in terms of their cybersecurity risk? Some of the ways that uh, you can go about that is compliance with with certain benchmarks like the Australian Government Information Security Manual uh, or the CIS benchmarks. There's other companies that are looking at doing like external scans or even uh, pen tests to give each organization a score. Uh, We're taking a little bit of a different approach. So we're looking at the human side of cyber risk and saying, well, what sorts of human type risks are there? So for your employees, what, what could be used against them? Um, to gain information, what's available already online about the organisation that a hacker could use to attack you. Um, if I was to research the directors uh, and their past, is there anything there that could be used to blackmail them, for example? Ha- having having these sorts of approaches to cybersecurity, um, I guess uh, risk scoring for the purposes of uh, cybersecurity insurance policies um, is helpful as well. So uh, some of the other ways you can use uh, OSINT for risk scoring might be things like uh, vendor risk. So I want to understand what sort of risk one of my supplier poses to my organization from a cyber point of view. So you can go and do an open source assessment of that supplier and, and say, well, how could this how could this information about this supplier be used to get access to my organization? So not just looking at your own in- organization in terms of an attack surface, but what, what sort of threat is Does your supply chain pose um, because uh, you know you as you would have heard in recent attacks um that that's definitely an emerging factor for cyber security attacks um, coming in through your supply chain uh, mm-hmm. another way to to look at how you can use osint is things like uh, when you're hiring employees, so what sort of background checks are you doing? on employees. How are you assessing the risk of that employee joining, joining your company? Have you done a, a thorough check into not only what they've put on their resume, but w- what have they put on their social media profiles? What have they published online? What sort of groups are they a member of and what does that say about them? And I guess, how will that reflect on your brand when, when they're part of your organization? And I guess the third, the third area there that I wanted to talk about, other than cybersecurity insurance, is in mergers and acquisitions. So those that are interested in uh, either being acquired or acquiring other companies, you want to you want to do your your proper due diligence on that organisation. And there's some very valuable information out there online that's available that we can access to do an assessment from from an open source point of view. So it might be things like. From, and it's not just your general asset checks on a director, but who, who is that director? Who are they connected to? What, what's their past like? What do they talk about online? What does that say about them? Uh, what do they say about their organization to other people? What is said about their organization in public? Uh, and through that information and combine that information together, you get a real sense for what is, what is that organization? Who are those directors? And, and are they something that you want to be part of your brand?
0: What I'd like to – I'd not like think thank you both. I think this has been a really, really cool episode. I think a lot of people are getting a lot of value out of it because it's something that people aren't really aware of in Australia and the people that I speak to aren't really totally aware of this type of stuff. So I do really appreciate both of you taking the time. But lastly, how can people reach out to you if they're really interested in this stuff, the crazy stuff that you guys had to talk about? How, how can people get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, just go to our website, www.worldstack.net. Uh, There's all our email addresses, phone numbers. Otherwise, you can look up uh, myself or Eric and reach out to us on LinkedIn or Twitter.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. I really, really do appreciate it.
1: Norwich, thanks for having us.
0: Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. We're looking forward to bringing you frequent snippets of what's happening in the security and emerging tech industries. If you think there's someone I should be speaking with, even if it's you, reach out to media at and we'll try to make it happen.